Well, good morning. Before I before I pray, let's see where'd that go? Oh, it's over here. I have I have one slide I want to show you before uh, before we pray. I want to I want to now the the title of the message is prepare your minds for actions, and I I want to plug these YouTube if you I got an echo up here, brother. Thank you. <laughs> but if you watch YouTube videos, uh, these are good to get some of the garbage out of your mind and get get to know some information here. Uh, this missionary Spencer Smith, he has a he has what is called a Third Adam series. If you haven't watched them, they'd be pretty educational. the The third one, he's got one, two, and three. The third one brings one and two all together, but it's it's a fairly long, but it's exposing how Satan is working in the churches today. Justin Peters, I love this guy. Clouds without water. Uh, he exposes false, flagrant teachers. Uh, and he's, he's very good. Vody Bochum, love this guy too. All his sermons are good, but he is really given the rundown on what the the truth about critical race theory is. And this is very important to know from K, kindergarten, pre, pre-K, on up through college, even in the workplace. You need to know these things. And then uh, this, this last one is, is called Vintage MacArthur. My son sent this to me uh, about a month ago. And it's on magic and demons. And if you think you know anything about the demonic world, you need to watch this video. It has, it has already changed one person's life that I know of. But that is well worth watching. And so I recommend these highly. Uh, we want to fill our minds with good things, but we don't want to be naive. And uh, so don't do it now. Because then you'll get me all scatterbrained if you look it up now, okay? So look them up when you get home. What do I got to push here? Okay. All right, let's pray. Our precious God, we come to you and we ask that you just let your power of your word work in people's hearts the way that we need it. And Father, as this message goes out, we would pray that you would be glorified. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. First Peter. I want to, I want to focus on 13 through 25, but, you know, as we all know around here, if you've been coming to church here for a while and studying your Bible, this verse 13 starts out with therefore. And so we have to find out what the therefore is there for. And so let me just give you a short rundown of, from verses 1 through 12. This is a summary. And... Uh, <coughs> I got this uh, in your study. If you have a good study Bible, you can find all the information you want before the the book starts. 
uh, on history and title and, and summaries and things like that. This one is from James Van Dyne. In the face of his execution, the Apostle Peter continues to obey the Lord's commission to tend his sheep and strengthen his own brethren. He has instructed these believers in the faith and wishes to reinforce that teaching and warn them of the dangers they will face from false teachings. And this is throughout the five chapters. His prescription, his prescriptive admonishment is to keep growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verses, verses 3 through 9, Peter is reminding these persecutions and scattered believers that it is good to praise God for allowing them to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And not to forget, it was only because of his great mercy that this was possible. This is good for us to remember. The inheritance they have will never corrupt or disappear. It will never fail to be theirs because God gave it to them when they put their faith in the resurrected Christ. And God the Father is keeping guard over it. Peter says, you are rejoicing in this, in this promise, even though at this time, if necessary, for you to experience various trials so that your faith is tested to be genuine and your genuine faith will result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now these, these Christians were being persecuted. Some were being killed, some were, some were uh, tortured, and, but they had scattered, they had been dispersed from their homeland and now they're in different places. And if you read one and two, verses one and two, at the end of verse two, he says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. And you might ask a question, how can you have peace when you're being tortured and persecuted? Or even some of your family members killed, being scattered away from your homeland. How can you have peace? He said, rejoice because you have an inheritance. He is reminding them of the, of the, gift of salvation that they have and it is uh, very important for us to remember that also even though many years later we as believers are included in this letter as a reminder that we too have the same inheritance in the Lord that these early Christians had even though in America we have not been persecuted or scattered Yet, that doesn't mean it won't happen. We must remember we are not promised that we will escape some sort of persecution before the rapture. We're not promised that. Second Timothy said in Second Timothy three twelve. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life will not maybe, not perhaps but will suffer persecution. We don't know when and we don't know how, but we must not be naive. It is wrong 
for anyone that, that tells you, any preacher or any, any lay person that tells you, your life is going to be sweet all the way through your Christian life if you put your trust in Christ. That's a lie. There's going to be times that's going to be hard. Jesus said in Mark 8.34, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Self-denial. We need to die to self. It means a total commitment to Christ. The idea is that nothing in this life is worth keeping if it means eternal death. Nothing in this life is worth keeping if it means eternal death. William McDonald says, True faith is indestructible. The believer may undergo severe tests and trials, but instead of destroying his faith, they become food for faith to feed on. Genuine faith will result in praise, honor, and glory when Jesus is revealed. I thought this passage of Scripture would be very fitting for the time that we live in. We see things happening around the country, around our country, and around the world. And I'll tell you, if you're not heartbroken over Afghanistan, what's happening to those people. We have brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. And some of them are being persecuted and killed. But I thought this was fitting. Because he says, therefore, preparing your minds. Oh. Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The battle for the mind is very real in this world. All you have to do is listen and read and watch. They want it, that's why it's called programming. We must be willing to understand that the enemy is doing major damage to those who can be deceived. We can't stick our head in the sand and say, oh, that's all right, I can handle that. Somewhere along the line, it's going to affect our mind. When Peter tells them to prepare your mind for action or gird up the loins of your mind, they knew what he was talking about. Most of us understand that in America, we have certain rights. And we talk about them, and it's difficult to see some of them being taken away. But we must realize our faith in Jesus Christ needs to be tested. 
somewhere along the line, it'll prove whether we're real or not. Anyone can say they are a Christian. Mac just pointed out in the Sunday school hour how much of a percentage doesn't even know that Jesus is the only way. Anyone can say they are a Christian, but God knows who is and who isn't, and he wants to test the faith. Is it true? A.W. Tozer said it is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. When Peter said, prepare your minds for actions and be sober-minded, he doesn't leave us guessing what he means. Kenneth Weiss says, Wherefore, having put out of the way, once for all, everything that would impede the free action of your mind, be calm, be collected in spirit, and set your hope perfectly, holy, and unchangeably, without doubt or despondency, upon the grace that is being brought to you upon the occasion of the revelation of Jesus Christ. I think John MacArthur has a really good explanation of this verse. He says this, Prepare your minds for action is a military term meaning be ready for battle. And you know, this reminds me of of our younger days, uh, some of us, you know, we thought we were we thought we were big and tough, and we would get into anything that possible, and uh, nobody was going to tell us what to do, and nobody was going to beat us at anything. Be ready for battle, and yet when it comes to the Christian life, we cave. This is a time to pull up the loose ends of your life together, to call all of our thoughts in control to call all of our thoughts in control it is a time to search self-examination time to search what sin or sins you and I need to put off in our life sober minded get the priorities right in our minds Some of us have priorities that are not really glorifying to God. He says, think seriously. Think accurately. Think nobly. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. How many times have we read that? Everything we do should be in view of the Lord's return. Do we wake up in the morning and say, perhaps today? Or do we have our plans already laid out and we put God second or third or fourth or fifth? Believers are constantly exposed to a world system energized by Satan and his demons. Their effort is to discredit the church and to destroy its credibility and integrity. Christians, however, 
must stand against the enemy and silence the critics by locking and loading. No, that's not what he said. By holy living. By holy living. Peter first gives instructions on, the, on grace before he asks them to live it out. You know, grace, John MacArthur says that grace looks at our guilt. Mercy looks at our misery. Grace is God's transforming, transforming power that enables us to live a supernatural life. Things that we can do and say no to. It's not our willpower. If we can say no to sin, it's all glory to God that we can do that. And it's only by His grace. Grace must be experienced before the behaviors called for can be put into practice. And the alternative, if you don't have grace, if you don't have mercy... The alternative is you're going to try to do it all on your own and think that you can handle it. A.W. Tozer says the reason why many still are troubled, still seeking, still making little forward progress is because they haven't yet come to the end of themselves. Remember, take up your cross and follow me. We have to die to ourself. We have to, once we learn to trust in Christ as our Lord and our Savior, we have to start living like He is our Lord and our Savior. Sometimes, and I mentioned uh, a few weeks ago when I, when I gave my testimony uh, message on, on what I went through with COVID. I know I had to be put down. Pride is a killer. And pride is the number one sin that God hates. And we need to rid ourselves of pride. But we can't do it on our own. We have to have God's grace to do it. The Holy Spirit. Verses 17 through 21 Says if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile. Now we know God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of a sound mind. But he says for us to conduct ourselves with fear. And that it means a High reverence for God Almighty. Because he says. We don't see him but we love him. We don't see him now. But we trust him. He has our best interest at heart. Verse 18. Says that knowing that you were ransomed. From the feudal ways inherited from your fathers, forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, 
the futile ways. The th sometimes, you know, the things that we do, they're of no value. They serve no purpose. And we do them anyway. It's just a waste of time or breath. And we need to self-examine ourselves. We need... And I, I feel very strong. A few years back, I, I taught through Jerry Bridges' book called The Gospel for Real Life. And he encourages us to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. And often every day. Because there are times that things will come into our mind that will take us away from thinking about the precious gift that we have. But he says you were ransomed from the futile things of your mind. Or the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. And we were ransomed with that precious blood. Somebody ought to preach a message on the precious blood. You know that? Somebody ought to. Why is it precious? Have you ever thought about why the, why the Lord's blood is so precious to us? You know, unless we preach the gospel to ourselves often. We have a tendency to forget. That precious blood. It's what gives us that grace. And that mercy. That he willingly died for us. He says he. Demonstrated his love to us. While we were yet sinners. Do we think about that? How often? Precious. Jesus took the cup of wrath. Of God. From God. And. That is, that is why it's precious. Verse 20 says, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake. For your sake. Verse 21, Who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead, and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. They're precious. Chuck Swindoll says this unjust and unforeseen suffering is one of the greatest problems that grips the hearts of people today. We struggle with frustration, anger, and uncertainty when trials, strange and unexpected, land on our doorstep. And if you've been a Christian for any period of time, we're not persecuted the way that these people were that Peter was writing to. But that doesn't mean there aren't people that are suffering. Things will come on you as a surprise we need to be aware of God's grace at all times people have family problems 
That's probably one of the most hurtful things there is. Slander, gossip, things like that. Too often in those, in those most difficult moments of our lives, confusion reigns. While contentment wanes, questions arise while prayer subsides. We have confusion. Sometimes prayer is the last thing we want. Sometimes prayer is the last thing we do. But if we would remind ourselves of the gospel of Jesus Christ often, daily, even more, more than one time a day. So the question is, how do you act or how do you react when suffering comes your way? Many crumble. They say, oh, I've had enough. I'm not going to church anymore. It hasn't done me any good. Years ago, I, I knew a man that, that uh, claimed to become a Christian, and, and he went to church. It was a bad church. <laughs> it was a bad church, but he went to, he started going to church, and he says, I've never had any trouble since I started going to church. And now my whole life has just fallen in on me. And uh, whether he was saved or not, I don't know. But people give up. So you have to ask yourself, <laughs> when you're ready to crumble, why are you crumbling? I mean, yes, people get depressed. People get ill. People, people are hurt because they're suffering. Things come upon them. And uh, how do we react? Many crumble. At the mere thought of another pain or trial. Others rise to the occasion. They want to be a Clint Eastwood and say, make my day, punk. Doesn't happen. You know, God will put you down. You think you're that strong. God will put you down. Most of us are probably somewhere in between. Peter's encouragement to his Christian readers is one of perseverance in faith. How are we doing? Are we persevering? Peter's encouragement, it isn't enough for us to simply get up every morning and trudge through the day. Oh, I got to do this again. I just had, my day is just miserable. I hate to even wake up. Neither is it advisable to paste a smile on our faces and ignore trouble. Ignoring trouble isn't a good thing. Sometimes it's best just to face it head on. But we don't want to do it alone. We want to have the Lord help us. Instead, the lesson of 1 Peter is to push through the troubles. And I recommend reading, reading 1 Peter all the way through, all five chapters. And read it more than once. And you'll get the just of the book. But Peter says, is to push through the troubles, recognizing that it's only temporary The temporary presence in our lives while walking in holiness 
and hope as people of faith. As I was preparing this, I thought, "Uh uh-huh, I knew that there was a country gospel song that came from this book. You know what it is? This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. So I said, thank you, Peter. So the quote continues and says, so press on. It is in the darkest times that our collective light shines brightest. You know what? If we go through it with the Lord's help, if we remember that this thing is only temporary. Now, it might last a while. Um, One of the first biographies I read years ago was Watchman Nee, who was in China. And uh, that poor guy, man. he knew it was for the Lord, but he, he did it anyway. He, he, he stood strong for the Lord. And he died in prison. Chinese prison. I heard uh, Corey Ten Boom talking and said that there was a young lady during the Holocaust who had memorized a lot of the Bible. And she was beaten pretty bad. Because she was quoting scripture and trying to share the gospel with the people that were torturing her, beating her. And they paused for a while and they asked her, why are you still going with this? Why are you still believing this? And she said, sir, I have my orders from my commander. And you do too. So carry on. I wonder, where would we be if that was going to happen? How would that happen to us? Are we strong enough? We talk about our faith a lot here. We gather in our church and we love our people. But what if, and someday it might happen, what if a mob came in and just started going crazy you can have all the security you want but you know if God wants it to happen it'll happen to test our faith now I want you to try to listen to me very carefully if if I haven't put you to sleep by now Peter is writing to true believers if you are not a true believer In the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. This does not apply to you. You might claim to be one who believes. But your lifestyle may tell a different story. God knows you. God knows your heart. God knows your motive. God knows everything about you. And I suggest don't play games with God. Somebody ought to write a song about that. Oh, I did already. (laughs) The morally religious people who compare themselves to others are trusting in their own works experience of thinking they are not as bad as other people. If we do not compare ourselves 
with God's holy standard. And what is that holy standard? We, we start with the Ten Commandments. You know, that's a good place to start. The law of God. If we do not compare ourselves with God's holy standard, we have a misunderstanding of who Almighty God really is, who the person of Jesus really is. And in reality, we are trying to produce a God and a Savior of our own making. And what we want him to be, not who he really is. So to all the people who are think that their morally moral lifestyle can get them somewhere with God, it's not going to make it. I have a, a clip I want you to watch, and then I will go on. Uh, this is a four-minute clip. You got that loaded, guys? Without preaching the cross to ourselves all day and every day, we will very, very quickly revert to faith plus works as the ground of our salvation. So that to go to the old uh, Fort Lauderdale question, if you were to die tonight and, and, and you were getting entry into heaven, what would you say? If you answer that, and if I answer it in the first person, we've immediately gone wrong. Because I, because I believed, because I have faith, because I am this, because I am continuing. Loved ones, the only proper answer is in the third person. Because he, because he, think about the thief on the cross. What an immense... I can't, I can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him how did that shake out for you? Because you were you were you were you were cussing the guy out with your friend. You'd never been in a Bible study. You never got baptized. You never you didn't know a thing about church membership, and and yet and yet you made it. You made it. How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said. You know, like what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. What, Well, because I don't know. Well, you know, excuse me, let me get my supervisor. I'll get the supervisor ranger. So, wait, just a few questions for you. First of all, are you are you are you are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? Actually, I've never heard of it in my life. And, and what about, and let's just go to the doctrine of Scripture immediately. This guy's just staring. And eventually in frustration, he says, on, on what basis are you here? And he said, the man on the middle cross said, I can come. Now, now that's the, that is the only answer. That is the only answer. And if I don't preach 
the gospel to myself all day and every day, then I will find myself beginning to trust myself, trust my experience, which is part of my fallenness as a man. If I take my eyes off the cross, I can then give only lip service to its efficacy, while at the same time living as if my salvation depends upon me and as soon as you go there it will lead you either to abject despair or a horrible kind of arrogance and it is only the cross of Christ that deals both with the dreadful depths of despair and the pretentious arrogance of the pride of man that says you know I can figure this out and I'm doing wonderfully well no because the sinless savior died my sinful soul is counted free for God that just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. That's why Luther says most of your Christian life is outside of you. In this sense that we know that we're not saved by good works. We're not saved as a result of our professions but we're saved as a result of what Christ has achieved. John 1 12 but to all who did receive him who believe in his name he gave the right to become the children of God Acts 4 12 says and there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved Romans 10 9 and 10 If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Some might question, what about the thief on the cross? I went through the scripture in Luke 23, 39 through 43. I believe the thief on the cross repented. We know we need repentance for salvation. I believe the thief on the cross confessed his sin before God. And if you look at the scripture very carefully, you find it. And I believe that he asked Jesus to save him. Because the scripture says this. One of the criminals who were hanged railed railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, Do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed justly. For we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. 
But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus knew his heart. And he said to him, Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, today you would be with me in paradise. We cannot come to Christ without repentance. We have to have a change of mind. First of all, we have to have a change of mind of who the person of Jesus is. He is God in the flesh. He is the one who came to die, to be sacrificed for your sins, my sins. And once we realize who he is and call upon him, then we repent of our sins. And we never get through repenting of sins. When was the last time you sincerely asked God to forgive you of your sin that maybe maybe you're a Christian? You know, we're not perfect. We won't be till glory. But we have to repent often. That's why we need to preach the gospel to ourselves often and even daily. And I recommend, I suggest, I know I'm not, nobody's going to listen to me, but listen to the Lord. His Holy Spirit wants us to take up our cross and follow him. And that means we have to die to ourselves. We have to get rid of our pride. What is stopping you from spending time with the Lord? You too busy? Only God can help change that. Let's stand, please.